Our scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, got to spend some quality time with your family, those you love. Also hope you got everything you ever wished and wanted for, for Christmas in the form of Christmas presents. My sons got me a set of golf balls with poop emojis on them. (laughs) And they don't even know how bad at golf I am. So, uh, self-fulfilled prophecy and a constant reminder of how much improvement I need. Well, thanks for showing up. Jay said no one was going to be here. So I went from being really anxious and nervous to, like, not being, and then all y'all show up. So here we go. Also, I uh, I do have a disclaimer. If my sermon gets boring, there are crayons and coloring paper out there. I will not hold it against you if you go out and um, pick one of these to uh, color instead of listen. Let's jump in. Jay just read the passage in Matthew chapter 5 about being salt and light. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and basically the postlude to it. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus takes his disciples to the side of a mountain and teaches them what it looks like to live as a citizen in the kingdom of God. We're going to unpack this. We're going to see how Jesus is turning religion, or what people think about God and godly living, totally upside down. My my prayer today is that as we hear this and consider this, and we consider this new year that we're going into at a season of Flat Rock, that we'll think about the vision, that we'll think about our hope at Flat Rock and and how we can resolve as to live as Jesus calls us in a world as salt and light to a world that's so desperate and needed the hope of the gospel. You pray with me. God, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. I feel like it is, um, like it is an honor, like it almost is um, 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 a, a, uh, something to put on my spiritual Ebenezer, Lord, that Uh, that your church uh, found it uh, worthy for me to bring your perfect word to them, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit you could use me to pierce and penetrate the hearts of your believers and even non-believers, Lord, to hear your word, to see its truth, to see how it brings us life, and to change us. God, you are so worthy, you're so holy, 
We give you, we give you everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's set the stage for the Sermon on the Mount. We've probably read it a hundred times. And every single time, you kind of get more and more and more out of it. I want to set the scene. Jesus is on the side of a hill, rising out of the Sea of Galilee, somewhere between Capernaum and Gennesaret. And he's talking to and he's teaching his followers. He's teaching them something new. And they were interested. Jesus has been teaching and he's been performing miracles and he's been defending his new preaching to the old religious guard. And these people were really drawn to him. He was preaching of a new kingdom. As Jews following him, this is one they had anticipated for centuries. The Messiah would come back in power, defeat Rome, free the Jews, and establish Israel once again as the powerful kingdom God promised. Could Jesus be the one they'd been waiting for for centuries? You see, Jesus wasn't the first revolutionary that had come to the nation of Israel and promised to be the Messiah. There had been tons of revolutionaries before him saying, Oh, this is the way. I'm going to give you everything that you ever want. All the prophecies are going to be fulfilled in me. And they fell short. Here's Jesus, and he's proclaiming the same thing, but it's different. If you saw Jesus perform a miracle and heard the truths that he was saying, you'd probably be a bit interested too. Jesus takes his followers to the side of a hill away from the city. He wasn't unlike any other leaders or revolutionaries before him in this manner. Many had come before starting these uprisings, promising similar things, a new way that was going to supersede the old way to make things better, Promised people the deep desires of their heart. But just like other revolutionaries, he took them out on the side of a mountain, seemingly safe from an attack from the standing institution, and unveiled his new plan. But then something different happens. He begins one of the most prolific, profound, confounding moral discourses the world has ever heard when he teaches his followers the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus opens his mouth and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, for they thirst for righteousness, and they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then in some sort of Benedictive grand crescendo, I'm assuming he probably throws up his hands like we do in the benediction, and he pronounces to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, let's take a step back to him going through all of this, the Sermon on the Mount. And imagine the crowd that he had anticipating this uprising, this guy who was going to lead them, maybe militarily, maybe on a horse, 
and defeat Rome and take over and establish the new kingdom is Israel that was prophesied and proclaimed by the Old Testament prophets. And he says this, blessed are the poor, blessed are the mourn, blessed are you who hunger. He's flipping religion on its head. Everything that they had ever expected or anticipated about life with God and who God was in the new kingdom, he was preaching an opposite teaching. I like to imagine you could probably hear a stone drop in the Galilean waters from about 100 feet away. Perplexed, confounded, maybe a bit angry. I assume you could hear rumblings from his followers about what the heck he was trying to pull over on them. This was not what they expected. It sounded backwards, unfamiliar, countercultural, and downright impossible to follow. And then he calls them the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. What's Jesus doing here? You see, in all this backwards, countercultural, strange to the ears teaching that he's giving, he was explaining what his kingdom, what real joy and contentment is really like in life with God. Not what they were expecting the Messiah to be or the kingdom to be, but what the kingdom and life with God was really going to look like. The impossible, upside down, backwards thing that they've been always taught to live. It wasn't a cruel joke. This was Jesus' invitation to everything humanity was made for. Life with God. Jesus is calling his people to a new life with God. He's calling them to godly living. He's calling them to godliness. Now, godliness, like holiness and other isthnesses in Christianity, you hear these all the time. And you say them, and I'm not sure sometimes we even know what we're saying when we say them. But let me define godliness for us. Actually, Tony Evans, an American pastor, has a perfect definition of it, and I'm going to steal from him. But if I give him credit, then I guess it's not stealing. Godliness is a lifestyle consistent with the character of God to becoming like God in our character, in our conduct, and in our actions, and in our attitudes. Life with God takes everything, becoming like Him in everything that we do. And as you live in God, you are the salt of the earth. And as you live in God, you are the light of the world. He tells them. He doesn't say, you can be this. He tells his followers, as you follow me, you are these things. This morning, I want to take and bring two simple points for us to wrestle through. One, what does it mean for us to be salt? And I'm going to define this as us being salt, as us bringing Jesus So if you don't hear anything else today, one of the things I want you to hear is that being salt is bringing Jesus. Got it? And the second thing is, what does it mean to be light? So if salt, being salt means bringing Jesus, I'm going to define being light as being Jesus. Salt, bringing Jesus. Light, being Jesus. 
Let's step back and add some historical context. Jesus is on this mountain. He's on the side of the hill. He's teaching his disciples. And he calls them something that would have been very familiar to their ears. Salt. Salt was an extremely valuable part of society and the economy. In ancient times, salt was extremely valuable. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Salt was actually currency. We get the modern term salary from the root meaning salt. Coffee conversation? You can use that. You don't even have to give me credit. You can sound really smart. Or just forget that and never use it again. Have you ever heard an old person say he's not worth his salt? It means that a person is worthless. Greeks consider salt to be divine. Salt added significant flavor to an ancient dull diet. It was also used as a preserving agent, a fish for, for fish and meat, allowing meat and fish to stay fresh longer. You see, meat and fish, fish would go bad pretty quickly without the preserving nature of salt. Salt was also used for medicinal purposes, or as I preached, medicinal purposes on our elder uh, retreat. It was used to heal, to wake up people from unconsciousness. Think of smelling salts. But would these people, with all their knowledge and understanding of what salt and the value of salt and what it brought to them, would they really make the connection of what Jesus was talking about when he proclaimed them salt. Of all these ways that we could interpret or they could interpret salt, I'm going to follow one path. Let's unpack how salt adds flavor. For salt to be flavor, to bring flavor to everything, to bring God's spirit, his character, his nature to everything. We can bring flavor of the gospel to the world and very much in need of hearing, seeing, and knowing God's love. For starters, we can be flavor to a desperate world by our godliness, by godly living, the definition before referred to. The world catches glimpses of our God's kingdom through the godliness of his followers as we live, as we do relationships, work, worship, do business, make laws, mom, make art, She's an art teacher, a good one. She gave me low A's every four years. <laughs> to fight against injustice, to say no to things that don't honor God, and many other expressions that we do as we do them in this manner that can honor and glorify God and reflect Him. We can be salt. We can be a season to everything that a dark and desperate world needs. Maybe Jesus wants us to flavor or season all of our lives and culture with his glory. Politics, art, music, medicine, law, business, education. Somehow America went wrong when we separated church and state thinking they were two separate things. There's only one truth, and that's God's truth. Over time, it will continue to reveal itself over and over and over again. Basically, everywhere the church exists, 
can be an opportunity to season a gospel ethic into our culture. Think about this. Why not have Christians running for office working to make policies that reflect a God who loves and cares for all of humanity under the theology of Imago Dei? All men are created in the image of God. I love this church because it's colorful. Black, white, Middle Eastern, it does my heart so well to think that we can worship together. There are people that come here that do not speak English, and they receive the benefits of God through being with us, and we receive their benefits as they worship together. Heaven is not white and middle class and drives a Toyota and desires to live in 12 South. I should stop there because I'm condemning myself. <laughs> you know, Martin Luther King took this ethic as he started his revolution. He stood against the evils and injustice. He brought the flavor of the gospel into this dark ethic that said black people weren't as valuable as white people. God used him to bring freedoms that African Americans in the United States had never had before. Why not have Christian movie makers and singer-songwriters creating brilliant, beautiful, brilliant movies with a godly, redemptive theme? Let's be introspective for a second. What does this mean for you in your life? You know how to live and walk with God if you're a believer. I know you guys have walked with the Lord for long, most of you. But how do you bring a season, a flavor of the gospel ethic to all of your life in your field of work? You a teacher? A licensed therapist? An interior designer? Photographer? Accountant? Engineer? Frankie Rockstar, how could you flavor your work and relationships with the beauty of the gospel in a way that glorifies God, draws people to him, and also is excellent work? Work isn't bad. Work didn't happen after the fall. God created work in the garden, and it's good and it's glorifying to him. How can you see your work as a way to honor God? to bring the season, the flavor of the gospel to your work. Have you ever asked yourself that question? One needn't be in full-time ministry to see all of life as a way to glorify God. If you don't know how to do this or even start to think like this, there are tons of people in this church who are doing it every day and doing it excellently. Wim, Libby, you guys are such examples of how to be salt and light to the earth. You might not see that people, you might not think that people are watching, but they are. Josh, Nathan, sometimes even Pastor Jay. <laughs> I got to bust him up a little bit. He gives me a hard time. It's possible to honor God in every faculty of our existence, work, play, relationships. Again, I'm going to sum up being salt of the earth 
is to bring Jesus into everything that we do in the world around us. We're bringing the light of the gospel. We're bringing the hope of the gospel into every faculty of our life and culture. Second, what does it mean to be the light of the world? What does it mean to be Jesus? Not only to bring Jesus, but to be Jesus. More importantly, to be Jesus-like, to be Christ-like, to use your godliness to glorify, honor, and represent God himself to this world. Let's step back and take a little bit more historical context. We know the value of salt. I explained the value of salt. You got your little coffee conversation there. Let's talk about light. The people were outside the city, listening to Jesus on the side of a hill, in the desert, in the countryside, somewhere close to the Sea of Galilee, and they would have been keenly acquainted with what the value of light brought to them. In the desert, on a dark, cloudy night, in the countryside, once the sun went down, you were in total darkness, like can't see your hands in front of your face type of darkness. You would have been, probably had to go to sleep because you couldn't get anything done. And two, you would have been susceptible to prey. Animals, armies, other people who maybe had flame torches and stuff like that. But people understood in this agrarian culture and in the desert side what darkness was in the value of light. You see, light gave everyone the property the ability to see properly. Light exposed things in the darkness as well. By virtue of its lightnessy properties, it brought out things out of the darkness to reveal them for what they truly were. Lightnessy is not a word. You can use it if you want and blame me later. The Bible's full of light examples. John 8, 12, Jesus calls them the light of the world. God's first act in creation, Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. Ephesians 5, Paul says, once you're in darkness, but now you're in the light. And those that are around you without Christ are children of the darkness. Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Savior, and those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus comes and he's the light. So what are some practical ways we as a church in 2019 can be light can be Jesus to ourselves, to our loved ones and surroundings, to our neighbors, to our enemies, and the broader culture around us. I'm going to give you a few ways we could do that. For starters, we can be light by reading, meditating, knowing and praying through and living God's word in our lives. If I stop there, probably be a decent sermon daily feasting on God's alive word if you don't do this this is a perfect time for New Year's resolutions start now I know it's hard to do I can't tell you how many times I made it through Leviticus and gave up maybe numbers lamentations Deuteronomy I don't even know how to spell Deuteronomy that's how <laughs> Infrequent, I'm in that book. 
but God's word changes you. It does. If you pray for God to reveal himself, he will. Maybe if you don't know a place to start, maybe start at the Sermon on the Mount. We could start right here. Ask for help. If you don't know how to pray and read through God's word, pray that the Holy Spirit reveal himself to you by the reading of his word. He promises he's faithful. Do it. Living God's word in your life changes you. You begin to produce light qualities. You glow. You may not notice it, but the world can. They can tell and they're watching. They can see Jesus in you. Sometimes people can see Jesus in you most when you're going through the darkest times. Clinging to every word God says. I feel like I learn more from my friends when they're going through really, really hard times and they're trusting the Lord than when everything's going right and they're praising Jesus. There's an old saying, you don't learn much from the mountaintop. You learn it in the valley. People are watching us. They know that we're saying these Christian things, but are we trusting God in the hardest parts of our lives? Read God's word. Know it. Meditate on it. Live it. Secondly, which is probably should be first. Wim's pretty good at this. Pray. Talk to God. Tell him your heart. Pray the Psalms. If you don't know how to read your Bible and you don't know how to pray, pick a Psalm and pray it. It will transform you. David's heart is for God. He'll show you how to pray. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family. Pray for your enemies. This is a hotbed of opportunity. You cannot walk out of Flat Rock Community Church and say, I don't know how to serve. There are opportunities all around. When kids are in school, you can read to them. Get to know them. Pray for them. Pray for their families. We're new in this neighborhood relatively. We still don't know a lot of this neighborhood. Pray for them. Pray to get to know them. Pray for opportunities. Pray even when you don't think God's listening. Sometimes we can't hear God, but his word promises that he's faithful and that his word won't return void. Third, actually tell people about Jesus. Outside of the Presbyterian Reformed world, this is called evangelism. That's a joke. It's a lot of pastors. We don't have a great... We don't have a great name for doing a whole lot of evangelism in the Presbyterian church. Maybe we could start now. Even if you don't know how to evangelize the people... Just tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Enough said. Honestly, as much as you think they don't, people don't mind you sharing Jesus with them. But you need to be kind. You need to be gentle. You need to be honest. You need to be loving, respectful, and patient. I promise, they don't care. If God in the Bible says that the world needs Jesus, 
and you have an opportunity to bring that to them, and they're desperate for them, they're going to listen. Lastly, and this one represents the exposing darkness part of this light metaphor. Allow the gospel to expose darkness in your life, in your circle of influence, and in the world. All the way from the darkness of the lies that you tell yourself, that Satan tells you that you're not worthy, use God's word to expose that. All the way to allowing God's light to expose the broken, evil worldviews that oppress and dehumanize people. See, we can use the truth of the gospel to expose darkness for evil and what it is and offer the light of Jesus. By reading God's word, we invite Jesus' light into our lives. By challenging worldviews that do not satisfy our culture's deepest longings and offering the most satisfying way through the love of Jesus, we bring enlightened life to a broken world. Jay and I are reading a book by Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body. It's basically worldview theology on the body. How our culture of death through how we've dehumanized people from a sexual culture that doesn't concern the body to abortion to self-assisted suicide. Our job is to bring life and to be light and to expose that darkness for what it really is and to show the world that God cares. He cares about every human being. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Bring Jesus, be salt. Be Jesus, be light. Two simple explanations on how to be salt and light. As we look back on 2018 in your life and you ask, have I been Jesus and have I brought Jesus to my life, my circle of influence and the greater culture around me? Some of you can honestly say, yes, I have. And I can look out here and testify how many of you guys have. God is using this church. God is using your godliness. God is using your saltness, not your saltiness because that might mean something totally different, and your lightness to bring light to Woodbine. Some of you are salty. Not naming names this time. Can we say we've been this? It's been incredible to watch. It's been incredible to watch God use our faithfulness in this church to bind men and women's hearts together, to trust Jesus that he's got our backs and that he's using us in ways that are extremely uncomfortable. Flat Rock, if you decide to come here, you are biting off a big piece of steak. This is a tough pill to swallow at times. Many, many, many times I say, what the heck am I doing here? It's so much easier to be in a church to just get lost. It's big. They have trumpets when they play. They have all this stuff. Why did God call me here? He's using us. He's using us to bring the light and salt of the cross to a culture and a world and a neighborhood and our hearts that desperately need him.
if you haven't asked yourself this, or if you can't say that you're salt and light, why not start now? You see, on our own, Scripture says, man alone can't please God. By yourself, you cannot please God. If you go back and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see people trying to please God by their own efforts. And you see Jesus come along and say, you can't. And it frustrates them. And they get mad, and they kill him. And it's a self-fulfilled prophecy, realizing that their own hearts are so dark, just like yours, and you can't please God. But Jesus makes a way. Jesus became God in flesh from the very, I'm not even going to say beginning because God is eternal, but God has always had a plan to come after his people. Even after Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, brought sin into the world, terribly gave it to you guys, God had a plan to bring you back to him. Jesus, Emmanuel, he came to be with us, to live a perfect life, sinless life on earth, one that, could not, one that we could not do ourselves in order to be in relationship to God the Father. He became your sin when he walked to the bloody cross in order that you, by faith in Christ, could be his. Jesus makes a way. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with you. And as we accept him, as he draws us near, as we live a life of godliness in him by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become salt and light. If you haven't placed your faith and life in Jesus this morning, this could be a perfect time to do it. There are many people in this church who would love to talk to you about it. Life in Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction. It's not an easy road. But life's not an easy road. And trusting your life to Christ gives you someone close to walk with and teach you God's Spirit. He promises you His Holy Spirit, third part of the Trinity, living in you, teaching you, growing you to be salt and light. I want to conclude this sermon with a story from an old president, Woodrow Wilson. Somewhere around the time of 1910, he tells this story about a young man early in his ministry as Woodrow was early in his political career, a guy named D.L. Moody. Anybody know D.L. Moody? Ring a bell? One of the greatest pastors and evangelists America has ever seen. President Woodrow Wilson, he said, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware of a personality that had entered the room. D.L. A man had come quietly in upon and... Uh, had come quietly in upon the same errand as I have to have his hair cut, and he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done for me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that room. I purposely lingered in that room after he had left and noted a singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. 
They didn't know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that as I left that place, I should be, and I've left in a place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed. D.L. Moody was salt and light to an American president and didn't even know it. Bring Jesus and be Jesus to a world that's so desperate for him. Let's pray.